before I do that. Young people, 11 and no, 12, 13 year olds, see the funny guy over there waving, He's, he is okay, we've checked him out, he is alright. <laughs> so YPs, if you'd like to follow him, you'll be safe, I hope, in faith, yeah. <laughs> Always sad to see people go, isn't it? But I can remember when uh, Pastor James put up the change of our name to Port City, He'd been thinking about, often in, around here we hear places are called the Harbour City, such and such, and we're known as the Harbour City. But he said a harbour gives you a, a picture of where you came in, come in and you just rest and you stay there and it's all safe and you're, you're secure in a harbour when the storms are coming or whatever the weather, you're nice and secure. But a port is where a ship comes in, comes in empty, it gets loaded up and then it gets sent back out again and uh, as we can see looking around here today we've had an exciting few years where we've certainly been doing that where ships have been coming in in human form uh, hopefully we filled them up and they've headed back out again into all all parts of the world so where's Anisha gone to I can't oh she's hiding <laughs> so be assured Anisha you're another one of our ships you can go and change the United States from what I'm reading they really need it so maybe you can help. We won't go into politics this morning unless I think so. Traditionally today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, the beginning of Passion Week or Holy Week, depending on what you want to call it. And with Passion Week, there's, there's a, I believe there's bookends. Both are good, but it's not so good in the middle. Would you agree? Today is the day that the Bible records that Jesus goes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the multitude, the mob, the crowd are yelling out and cheering and cutting down palm fronds and putting them in, in, his, in his way to make a pathway for the, the, the king of the Jews to enter into, his, into Jerusalem and to take over, get rid of the Romans and all that sort of stuff. How they missed it. But they're all singing, you know, hallelujah and hosanna and they're all shouting and praising him as he rides into the, into the city. And yet not many days later, the same mob are yelling, crucify him, crucify him with as much enthusiasm. Don't be part of the mob. But then again, that's okay because a few days after that, hallelujah, Jesus is risen. Amen. So we see really good at the start, we go in a bit of a dip and then it's even fantastical at the other end, the two bookends. So I was thinking about this, and how would I sum up in a short scripture this time of year or what it, and what this time is about? And I came up with Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful gift that uh, I guess we, we celebrate a bit more at this time of year when we uh, remember what you have done, that you sent your son. We were lost, but you sent your son that we might be found. Father, I thank you through your Holy Spirit. You will speak to each and every one of us as we need to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The film Amazing Grace was set in the late 1700s. 
It was, tells the story of William Wilberforce, a politician driven by his Christian faith to commit his money and energy to abolishing the slave trade. In one scene, Wilberforce's butler finds him praying. The butler asks, You found God, sir. Wilberforce responds, I think he found me. How profound. Wilberforce was exactly right. Jesus came to find us, for we could never have found him if we were left to ourselves. It is a clear expression of the Creator's love for the lost creation that he pursues us and desires to make us his own. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In the film, I saw a short clip the other day, and in the film, the, the writer of that, John Newton, is talking to Wilberforce, I think, I think it was Wilberforce, and at this stage, Newton is now blind, and he was a slave trader, and now he's blind physically, he says those words, I was blind, but now I see. He's had that spiritual awakening, which is far more important than any physical awakening we'll ever have. This morning, I want to look at Luke 15. Most of us have probably heard this before. It's a fairly popular uh, chapter, Luke 15. It's interesting, though, we need, it's always good to know who the writer in the Bible, whether it's Jesus or one of the others, who they're actually talking to, because that can change a bit how we look at it. So it says here, Then all the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near to, near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he then spoke this parable to them. So I'm gathering from that, He's speaking to those who were complaining. So one group, the tax collectors and the sinners are basically lost according to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are okay and they don't think they should have anything to do with the lost. That's a great idea, isn't it? So he spoke them this parable. The first part is about a man who loses a sheep and goes searching for his sheep and finds it. And then he goes, continues on, okay, well what about a woman, so he's continuing the line of thought, what about a woman who goes after a coin, loses a coin in the house, diligently searches the house until she finds the coin? Then he said, so he's still continuing the same line of thought, and then he said, and he goes on to share the, the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son. So it's all one dialogue. We take it. How many of you heard numerous, endless messages on verses 1 to 10? We could probably count them on that many fingers. How many of us have heard a message on the parable of the prodigal son? A thousand times over. They're all one message. And we separate them. 
We tend to think that the first two are about a sheep that is lost, a coin that is lost. So we, that's, you know, we think that's talking about the lost. That's what he's talking about. So it's about a person being lost and God finding them. And then we can, when we come to the prodigal son, we change it up. And we go, the prodigal son has found God. I'm going to attempt this morning to change your thinking back to the first two. See, Jesus didn't say when he started the, the parable of the prodigal son, he didn't say, look, here's, a, here's another one that's sort of the same but a little bit different. He says, then he said, he's continuing on the very same thought. Something is lost, someone searches, something is found. Or the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I won't read all of 15, we'll be here for too long. But we know the stories, I think. As I said, the first one is about a what? Sheep got lost. The man goes out, leaves all his good sheep, goes out, looks for this one poor little sheep that's lost. He finds his sheep, he brings it back, he tells everyone and there's great rejoicing. The second parable If I look at the right page. Well, what about a woman having ten silver coins and she loses one in the house? What does she do? She searches diligently. She goes all over the house. Who's ever done that? Lost the car keys. And you know you put them on the kitchen bench right there. You know you put them. Someone who's moved them. But again, searches diligently, finds the coin... And then tells everyone and there's great celebration. The next one, the prodigal son. A young man leaves his home. Goes off to a foreign country. He's lost. He's in a terrible state. And he comes home. He heads home. And his father sees him. His father welcomes him. His father tells everybody that he is found and there is great celebration. They're all the same. I should probably have that up there. Yeah. So we see something lost. So remember who Jesus is talking to? He's talking to those who think they are pretty all right and that they don't have to hang out with those who aren't all right. They're the, they're the sons and daughters of Abraham, which... In other places, Jesus sort of makes it plainly clear to them that they aren't. But it's showing a picture of mankind that, is sent, that mankind is essentially lost from the very beginning. In Genesis 3.9, when uh, Adam and Eve have a revelation about all things about God and everything and they realize they're sinners and all the rest of it, they hide from God. And God comes walking through the garden as he's always done and he's calling out, Adam, where are you? He's looking for the lost. Adam had turned to his own way. Isaiah 53, 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. I could sing the children's song if you want, but I'd embarrass myself. 
Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have turned to our own way and God has put our iniquity on Jesus Christ. Proverbs 14.12 There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. Everything we pursue in life is vanity and ends in nothing. Without God, man is lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So we've established that something is missing, something is lost. Someone searches is the next part of these three parables. Notice the passion of those who are searching. The shepherd searches the wilderness diligently until he finds his sheep. The woman lights a lamp, sweeps the house and searches carefully for the lost coin. The father sees the son a great way off, keeping watch for his lost son. But you might say, but the father didn't go out and search like the, the man with the sheep or the woman with the coin. But remember Luke 15 is a, is a picture, a parable of God searching for the lost. From the moment the father sees the son, he pursues him. God sees man before he is born and he pursues him diligently. Psalm 139, verses 15 to 18. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skill fully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were they all were written days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. God has been pursuing us before we were even formed. God re reveals himself as a loving, wooing and jealous bridegroom. Ladies, how do you like that one? It's a bit difficult for us blokes to sort of get onto that one, being a bridegroom, but anyway, we'll work on it. And compares us to a cherished bride throughout Scripture. That God pursues us means that he is actively reaching out for us, that he is pulling the strings in our lives and hearts to win us over that he is doing things in and around us to get our attention and to make us fall in love with him. God doesn't just answer when we call. You know, I'm in trouble, triple zero, God, please come and help me. He does, but what we don't know is what he's already set up. We don't see that bit. We don't see the person that's come into our life. We don't see the circumstance that we're in that God has put that we might make that call. He's been diligently chasing after us, pursuing us. He is taking the initiative. We think we're the smart ones. He is not only seeking, hoping to somehow get the love of his creation, he himself is working for it, actively pursuing and drawing us to win the hearts of man.
In Hosea chapter 2, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. He's speaking of Israel. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me my husband. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. In Matthew chapter 13, 45 to 46, there's a short passage that says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one, of, one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, had and bought it. Next weekend, we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can anything be any more costly than our Saviour's life for us? That is what this is saying. We are that pearl. You are that pearl. And he gave himself at great cost that he could buy you, that pearl. He didn't just create us and now we live on earth trying to make the best of us. He created us to be pursued by him forever. Ezekiel says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Ephesians 1 reading from the Message Bible. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. We could stop there, that's enough. Even before he created the world, he had us, he had you, the precious pearl in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning it. He's had pleasure in planning you and you coming to know him. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. He wants us to be partakers of his salvation. The lost is found. After much diligent searching, the lamb and the coin are found. The father had a loved one. He waited and never forgot the one who was loved, even when he was away. The parable of the prodigal son takes on a more personal view of humanity and God's love for all mankind. So the prodigal we see while in great affliction comes to his senses. He came to his senses, laying in a pig pen with nothing to eat. The penny finally dropped. This isn't good. Sad that many of us have to get to that point where we think this isn't good. So overwhelmed by the affliction that they see their need for God. We don't like affliction, do we? Who likes affliction? No good, we're all honest this morning. <laughs> the commentator Matthew Henry writes this, Afflictions, when they are sanctified by grace, 
prove happy means of turning sinners from the error of their ways. By them the ear is open to discipline and the heart disposed to receive instruction. And they are sensible proofs both of the vanity of the world and of the mischievousness of sin. Apply it spiritually. When we find the insufficiency of creatures to make us happy and have tried all other ways of relief for our poor souls in vain, then it is time to think of returning to God. When we see what miserable comforters, what positions of no value all but Christ are, for a soul that groans under the guilt and power of sin and no man gives unto us what we need, then surely we shall apply ourselves to Jesus Christ. And no man gives unto us what we need. I guess that's where the prodigal son was, wasn't he? He wasn't even being fed for his labour. In Luke chapter 8, there is a lady who has an issue of blood for 12 years, has been going to doctors, been going to probably whatever, to try and get this issue fixed. It's no good. It's an affliction of probably the worst kind. She's in the crowd. Jesus is passing by. She reaches out, touches his cloak and is instantly healed. She's not only had a physical but a spiritual healing. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you go in peace and only true peace can come from an encounter with God in Mark 2 a paralytic is lowered down through the roof of a building because it was too many people there for the, his mates to get him in there he's afflicted Jesus says your sins are forgiven get up and take your mat and go home his affliction led him to an encounter with Christ. In chapter 9 of John, there's a man blind from birth is healed. And uh, Jesus had heard that he'd been cast out of, the, out of the temple. The temple leaders had been grilling him as to who had done this and why and all this type of thing. And he'd had enough of it. He got thrown out anyway because he said this guy must have been a lord and maybe they'd like to get to know him as well. That upset him. So Jesus comes across him and uh, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That sounds like salvation to me. That sounds like an affliction has led someone to Jesus. How differently our thinking is to God's thinking. How much higher his ways are than our ways. Let us not focus on the affliction but rejoice in the salvation of God that it can lead to. So back to our son. He comes to his senses and he makes a plan. The key to the prodigal son parable being in line with the other two in Luke 15 that he made a plan. See, the thing is, he's no better than the coin 
or the sheep. But he's human, so he's made a plan. I don't think sheep are intelligent enough to make a plan, and I'm pretty sure coins can't. But he did. To his credit, it's not a bad plan. Would you agree? No doubt he's had a change of heart. Here's his plan. I'll go and tell my father that I have sinned against heaven and earth and against you. That's a good start for a plan, isn't it? When you ran away from home, you wished your dad was dead and you took half, three, or about a third of his money. That's probably not a bad way to start. I am not worthy to be your son. I think his dad would probably agree with that and so would all the rest of the people in the area after what he had done. Make me one of your hired men. That's where the plan goes astray. He's acknowledged he's a sinner. He's acknowledged he's not worthy to be a son. But then he wants to earn his father's favour. The sheep cannot earn the shepherd's favour when it's lost. It'll sit there and bleat. The coin, best as I know, can't even bleat. It just has to sit there until it's found. We can't earn God's favour. If you ask someone, why would you, if you died now and you went to heaven, why would you be let in? And I'll guarantee 99.9.99% will say, I'm a good person, I do good things, I help people out, and basically I, my, all these good things that I've done, that'll get me into heaven. That's what our young son was hoping for. But it doesn't work like that. How many people do you know that are like that? We see them in all sorts of religions, including Christianity. We see them in service clubs, aid agencies, supports groups, all doing good things to their fellow man. Is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. But it depends if they're wanting that to give them points to get into heaven. That's where it comes unstuck. Sandy had a personal trainer at the gym. And when she was younger, well, not that much younger because she's not all that old now. <laughs> she was <laughs> younger than Mary Ann anyway. <laughs> I didn't hear what she said to me, so I just thought I'd throw something back at her. <laughs> this young lady was overweight, unhealthy, not living a real good lifestyle. She came to her senses. She decided this is not good. She started going to the gym. She started eating properly. She did a course. She became a, um, an instructor so she can teach people like Sandy and others that want to help, you know, well, we, these days we all sort of want to get fitter and healthier and all that type of thing. So she's doing all these wonderful things. But it's not an eternal plan. Like the sheep and the coin, man cannot gain eternal salvation through their own efforts. 
There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Jesus came to find us, for we could never have found him if it if left to ourselves. It is clear expression of the Creator's love for his lost creation that he pursues us and desires to make us his own. That is God's heart for us. That is God's heart for mankind. The son is not saved until his father sees him and runs to him with so much compassion he doesn't care what anybody thinks. I've shared a little bit of this over the last year or so, what I've been reading. And I've always had this picture. We have a, a Bible study by Reinhard Bonnke. And one of the scenes in, in this study is the out on this big wide open plain is one of those you know tent type things that they have in the Middle East. And the father looks up and there's the son coming and they do, he runs across the, the open plain and uh, that's all good. But what I've been studying of late that he wasn't a, um, the, the man was a landowner. So he didn't live in a tent. He would have lived in a village of some sort, a town of some size. So this day he's looking out and there's this character in the distance or someone has told him or he recognises it must be his son. And he takes off. I think I just shared this only recently that that important people, and especially in the, that era in uh, Israel, men like him did not run. They were stately. They would walk slowly and with purpose. But they wouldn't run. They wouldn't lift their... We didn't work out the name of it the other week, did we? The, his tunic thing. What? Tunic. Okay, we'll go with tunic. They wouldn't, well, he would have had to have done that, showing his knees and his calves and his ankles. How embarrassing that all the village, what the, he's running through the village. The, the villages, you know, like we've got a big, nice, wide street. The villages have probably only got narrow little streets, got markets on them and people working. And here's this madman running through the village, knocking things over, bumping into people. I can just imagine, excuse my imagination, I can just imagine his servants like Mr. Bean. What are you doing? <laughs> Running along behind him. You're making a fool of yourself, sir. Stop it, stop it. But his compassion so overruled his dignity because he saw his son that was lost. I was reading an article and it says... In that sort of situation, the father would sit in his lounge room, very solemn, and the son would be brought to him. And the son would beg and grovel and ask for forgiveness and go through the whole thing. And then a very compassionate father might go, okay, you're forgiven, go out and work with the hired men. A real compassionate one may have kissed him and welcomed him back into the family. But no one, none would run through the streets of town with their tunic held up above their knees and running out to this stinking, filthy thing that was walking down the road. 
Just remember, he's been living in a pig pen. I doubt whether there were too many motels between where he came from and where he was living, going to live where his dad was, that he could freshen up. He didn't have any money anyway, so he wouldn't have been able to use the motel. So he would have been stinking and filthy. But the father's love, the father's compassion compelled him to run to his son. He didn't care. Luke 15, 21 to 24, and reading from the Message Bible. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. I like that. He was calling to the servants, Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. The sheep was lost and found and they had a wonderful time. The coin was lost and found and they had a wonderful time. The son was lost, is now found and they're having a wonderful time. I love the way God, when we object, if you read in the scriptures, Moses is a classic case. God calls him, I'm going to get you to set the people free. Yeah, but God, I, can be, I, haven't, I can't do it. Yeah. And okay, right, now what we're going to do, took no notice of what Moses said. Here's my plan. This is what we're going to do. Here's the father heart of God. Oh, I've sinned against you and God. I'm not worthy to be his son. Go and get the clothes. He, wasn't, he didn't care. His son was back. His, his dead son is now alive. His lost son has now been found. He didn't care what he wanted to dribble on about. He just cared and had compassion that his son was now found. God sees the lost. He's searching. He's calling. All we can do is accept the wonderful gift of salvation that he's offering. See, Luke 15 is not about the sheep. It's not about the coin. And it's not about the son. I know I've preached it, and I know many others have, and I might even get taken to the city gates and stoned. But it's not about the sun. We always preach about the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun. Put the three together. The lost is found. Something was missing. Someone diligently and compassionately pursued the lost, and they have been found. Luke 15 in its entirety, which it must be read together, is about the Father heart of God, the compassion of the Father for the lost. It's only a fine tweak, but to me it is just so amazing. It is so wonderful. And it's not what I can do. It's only what God can do. His compassion for me that brings me into his family. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Can I have the music team back up, please? So here we are today, Palm Sunday, the beginning of Passion or Holy Week. The sheep is in the flock, the coin is in the purse, and the son is in the family home. And Christ triumphantly rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, cheered on by the multitudes. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They cheered him on. The affliction. The sheep has been lost. The coin has been lost. The sun is lost. Palm Sunday's crowd now yell, Crucify him! Crucify him! But wait, what's this? We sing the, this line in a song, Oh, and oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious day that you have saved me. Hallelujah. The sheep, the coin, and the son are all found, and he is risen. Amen? I thought someone would get excited. He is risen. Do you believe that? He is risen that we might live, that those who believe will be saved. Like the sheep, the coin, and the prodigal son, we're all lost without God, but like the man, the woman, and the father who, who represent God, we have a God who diligently and compassionately searches out for each and every one of us. I'll leave you with a thought by Louis Giglio. The God who creates everything and needs nothing pursues you. Don't let anyone sell you less worth than that. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning, please? Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you this morning, Lord, and as we begin what we call Passion Week or Holy Week, and it's uh, just so many different things are happening this week from what we see in your word, but Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can look at afflictions and think this isn't good. But Father, we know that you can come to our, our help, you can come to our aid. We know that we have a saviour that, that died, rose again and sits at your right hand and intercedes for us. Father, we thank you for Luke 15 where we just see your heart through these three parables. A heart that just pursues us endlessly, diligently, compassionately that we might come to know you as our Lord and Saviour Father I pray for those that may be searching this morning that they would get an understanding that they need, no, need not search any longer they can just turn to you and you will accept them exactly as they are you will adopt them into your family. 
We thank you, Father, for your great compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.